All right, so one of our students is going to read the scriptures for us, and we're going to jump into the word this morning. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Campbell. You can just give that to Pastor Rob right there. Thank you so much. So seven years ago, I packed up everything I owned into the back seat of my truck and drove 1,000 miles from my hometown in Amarillo, Texas to start a summer internship at a middle school ministry at a church that looks like a barn in the middle of Leapers Fork, Tennessee. Come on now. Somebody better say it. Amarillo, the place that I'm from, it's not a big city. Uh, most of my friends were people that I had known since elementary school and middle school, and the majority of my family lived in the area, and we got together often. Um, to say it concisely, Amarillo was home. And Amarillo was all I had ever known. Um, outside of, of coming here to attend Narrowgate, if you don't know what Narrowgate is, it's an awesome discipleship ministry. Um, but outside of, of attending that for a few months out of the year, uh, I had known this place of home for, for 19 years. And stepping out of the comfort and the security of home into a place that I did not know was scary, honestly. <laughs> Leaving home was hard. And it hasn't always been that way. It got a lot better. Like, I love this area that we get to live in. I love this church, I love the volunteer state, but man, moving here at first was hard. Thankfully, since I've been here, I've, I've had the, the privilege of being able to meet my wife here. We bought our first home here, we got our first dog here, his name's Moose, he's the best thing ever. <laughs> Moose is famous in high school ministry. Um, he's our mascot. And we genuinely believe that, that Tennessee, Franklin, Tennessee, being a part of Grace Chapel is the place that God has called us to be and until he shows us differently, like we are here to stay. You know what I mean? Like I hope you all feel that way. Like this is where we're called to. But man, at first, being away from home was hard. Uprooting from everything and everyone I knew was hard. When I first moved to Tennessee, I was homesick. Like for months, 
Homesickness is a horrible feeling. You get that subtle ache in your stomach, the, the pains of nostalgia, the desire to just be somewhere where you belong. The fear of like, man, am I ever gonna go back? <laughs> am I ever gonna fit in here? Being away from home hurts, and I think, I'm, I'm willing to guess that this is probably a feeling that most of us in the room have experienced before because is anybody in here a unicorn? Y'all know what that term means? Like a unicorn in this area is somebody who was actually born and raised in Franklin, Tennessee. Like by show of hands, wow. Out of maybe 900 people, there's like not even 20 hands. Crazy, okay, so we know this feeling of homesickness, right? of being away from family and stepping into a new season of life. Being away from home hurts. But I don't think that being away from family, being away from everything that we've ever known or everything that we're ever comfortable with, I don't think that's the only time that we as human beings experience homesickness. I remember back in 2020, do you, you guys remember when it felt like the world was falling apart and everything was a reference to a dumpster fire? Like, I remember in 2020, that same feeling of homesickness, like the subtle nausea, the racing thoughts, the weight on my chest, the, and, and all those feelings were connected to everything that I was seeing on social media as well as everything that I was seeing in the news. The death tolls, the political turmoil, the racial tension, the hatred and bitterness that just seemed to spew from every direction. And something like deep in me knew it's not supposed to be like this. You ever felt that before? We see the darkness of this world and at times we just know there's something in us that has a keen sense of man, it should not be this way. We long for something more. Or maybe, maybe we don't always feel that. Maybe we feel it in the opposite direction. Maybe we have everything that we need. We've got a good family, we've got a nice house, we've got a great job, there's plenty of money in the bank. We don't have too many problems. But even still, we find within ourselves this desire, this longing for something more. I love what C.S. Lewis says in his Mere Christianity. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. It's good, isn't it? What if this world that we live in, as it currently is, is a ripoff of the world we were made for? What if, as the lead singer of Boston in 1976 sang, what if that is more than a feeling? If you would, open your Bibles, if you brought them with you this morning, to Ephesians chapter two, or if you have your little Ephesians journals, please open up to the second chapter of Ephesians. And as you're making your way there, let's pray together this morning. 
God, we do thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, we are so thankful that we don't have to wonder what you're like because you have revealed yourself to us in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I am asking today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you make yourself known to every single one of us in this room? God, I'm asking that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive whatever it is that you want to plant in the soil of our souls. Lord, I am asking that you would till up the soil of our hearts and that you would find good, fertile ground. Jesus, I'm asking that today would not be about how amazing our student ministry is or how cool of a church we go to, but that it would be all about how good of a God we serve. Lord, I'm asking that you would get all the glory for everything that takes place in this room today. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've all experienced this feeling of homesickness before. There is something in us that recognizes the world is not as it should be. And if we're honest, we are homesick for the kind of world that we were made for. And I believe that Paul explores this concept in the second chapter of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter two, verses 11 and 12, he says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You know when you go to interview for a job and you're filling out your, your resume, usually you wanna try to put your best foot forward, right? You wanna try to like, as you're filling it out, you wanna try to remember all the best parts about yourself all the good things that you've done that would make you acceptable to the person who's gonna be reviewing your resume. Paul starts this section out way more like a roast than a resume. Like, just listen here for a second, the things that he says. Remember at one time you were separated, alienated, strangers, Gentiles in the flesh, which basically just means unclean heathens, Remember at that time when you were without an ounce of hope in the world. You didn't even have God. Remember when the Jews used to call you mean names to talk about how unclean you are? It's almost as if Paul is just really trying to drive this pain point home. Remember, you used to be broken and separated from God. And not only that, you weren't even a part of God's chosen people. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Thankfully, Paul doesn't end there. He goes on in verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So clearly in this passage, Paul is talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and the hostility that existed between these two people groups. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that this is just one example in all of humanity. 
The unfortunate reality that we've all seen on every news cycle, on every political debate, and in even, even in every cross-town school rivalry is the unfortunate reality that people hate each other. People are continuously at odds with one another. We live in a world, a culture, that says, my tribe versus your tribe. And our culture is obsessed with putting up dividing walls and obsessed with increasing hostility. You are either wealthy, upper class, middle class, or just outright poor. You are either public schooled, private schooled, or homeschooled. You either like pineapple on your pizza or you hate it. You either put the toilet paper roll right side up with the loose end hanging over, or you are just a monster. <laughs> the Jews based their value on how superior they felt to the Gentiles. But we all do the same thing. Often without even realizing it, we compare ourselves with other people to feel better about ourselves. And notice how this played out for the Jews. In verse 14, Paul says, for he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Paul is saying that the law is the thing that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. It was the thing that brought a wall of hostility between these two groups of people. And I want you to see something because Paul isn't just talking about some metaphorical wall that was a division between two groups of people. He's talking about a physical place in the temple in first century Jerusalem. Do we have that picture? Yes, we do. Okay, so you'll notice this is the, the, an example of the temple in first century Jerusalem in the time that Jesus was walking on the earth. And you'll notice that the temple was divided into different areas. You had the outer wall and the gate which divided the temple from the rest of the city. It divided the temple from the street. And once you walked through that gate, you were in this large area here known as the outer court. The outer court was the place that anybody was welcome to come into, Jews or Gentiles. You could come in and you could see the majesty of God, the power of God, the amazing generosity and goodness that God has afforded for his people. It's in the outer court that we read in the gospel accounts where Jesus came and he flipped the table of the money changers. The outer court is the place where anybody was welcome, Jew or Gentile. And in the center of the temple, at the very middle, you had this place known as the Holy of Holies. This is the place where heaven and earth literally met. It's the place where God and man dwelt together. It's the place where God came and invaded the human sphere and the place where the, the, the sins of the people were atoned. In the temple, you had the place where God and man dwelt together and you had the place where all people were welcome. But in between these two areas, you had this place known as the inner court. And it was in the inner court where there was a clear sign above the doorway walking into the inner court. Jews only. If you were a Gentile who was caught entering into the inner court, you were to be punished by death. 
In the temple, there were these three distinct places, the place where God and man dwelt together at the middle, the place where all men were welcome, and the area in between divided by a wall where the Gentile could not go. Paul is saying, you who once were far off, you Gentiles, (laughs) you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ has torn down this dividing wall and he is now the way that all people come to access God. Because notice, Jesus didn't say the holy of holies is the way, the truth, and the life. No, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The law was a gift that God had given to the Jewish people to show them God's holiness and how God had created mankind to live in relationship with himself. And these people were supposed to be a blessing to the world. Do you remember the Abrahamic blessing from Genesis 12 where God speaks to Abraham and he says, Abraham, through you, through your descendants, all the nations of the world will be what? Blessed. These people were supposed to be a blessing to the watching world. And yet somewhere along the way, keeping the commands and the ordinances became a weapon rather than a gift. I pray the same wouldn't be said true of us. Is there a gift God has given us as disciples of Christ that we are using as a weapon against a watching world. The Jews depended on the law for their righteousness and they used it as a mechanism to find men guilty. A perfect example of this, we covered it back in March in our parable series is the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Can we put that picture of the temple back up there? You have the Pharisee coming into the inner court saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, adulterers, and God, especially not like these tax collectors. God, thank you that I am so awesome and I do everything right. But the tax collector, while he was still standing far off, do you see the picture? He couldn't come any closer couldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven, but said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man, talking about the tax collector, is the one who went down to his house justified rather than the other. The Jews used the law and elevated themselves above other groups of people and separated themselves from God in the process. Because while they were close to God in the inner court, their hearts were far from him. And it's this arrogant heart posture that separated them from God as well. And even though they were near to God, there was a distance. And every single one of us, whether we have been near to God in his house, in the church, or we've been far off, and maybe this is even just our first time here today, every single one of us, we have tried to achieve our identity through comparing ourselves to other individuals or other groups that aren't like us. And if the Jews could use God's gift of the law as a dividing wall, then I believe anything can become a dividing wall between us and loving other people if we allow it. 
But you see, Jesus came to literally destroy that hostility, to destroy that division between God and people and to reconcile us all to the life that we were made for. Paul goes on in verse 17, he says, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off. To you who didn't grow up in church and didn't know a thing about the Lord, who lived a hedonistic and heathen lifestyle, Jesus came and preached peace to you. And to you who have been near, who know all the commands and ordinances and you have all the right answers, but your heart has been far from him, he came and preached peace to you. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You see, the Jews and the Gentiles, they are just an example of what God has done for the human race. And the reality is that the world that we live in is not as it should be. People are divided and they hate one another, but Jesus came to bring peace between God and man. When you start to follow Jesus, you begin to realize that the gospel is the only thing in this world that has the power to unify people who could never sit in the same room together in the first place. The weapons of identity that we used to use to promote ourselves and devalue others, they become things that we don't really care for anymore when our identity is in Christ. At best, they become secondary to who we are as followers of Christ. It's no longer about being the best party or the best class or the best race. As Tim Keller once said, the late great Tim Keller, he said, you realize there's only one inferior race of people, right? It's the human race. Jesus had no reason to associate himself with a group and a race of people like us, but he did. <laughs> because he wasn't ashamed of what it would do to his reputation if he gave up everything to serve and save those he loves. In Romans 5, eight through 10, Paul writes to the Romans, he says, but God shows us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? That whole thing that we talked about last week of you're saved by grace through faith, not of works, like, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've wrestled and I've screwed something up and thought, like, God, how could you ever continue to accept me? But the thing that Paul makes clear to us is it's not about what we can do for God or how well we can esteem or approve of ourselves. Because if we were saved while we were still enemies, how much more now, having been saved, will we be reconciled? and saved by his life. You see, Jesus made a way for us to come near to God and he is giving us the grace to become the kind of people that we were made to be. And that feeling of homesickness that we walk around this life with, that feeling of it shouldn't be this way, thank God it's not the end of the story. 
we can actually be at home in the safety and the security that only Jesus can provide. And when you find your home in God, you no longer need to live in hostility because you're no longer a stranger in the kingdom. If your identity is rooted in anything other than Jesus Christ, if your identity is rooted in anything other than being a child in his kingdom, living under his rule and his reign as the king, then the byproduct of that life is going to be hostility, division, and dissatisfaction. And you might ask yourself, well, why? Why is that? Why are those the things that are produced out of a lifestyle lived apart from God? All the way back in the beginning, in Genesis chapter one, verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. Now bear with me for a minute because this isn't some new agey talk telling you that we're all trees and plants and things like that. But look at the order that God has created in the universe. Fruit bearing trees bear fruit in which is their seed that is then planted and grows another tree that bears that same kind of fruit. So apple trees don't produce oranges. Wow. Banana trees don't produce grapes. This is a reality. This is an order that God has created in the universe. It's a reality in which every single one of us lives. And in the same way, who you are, what you believe about yourself at the core of your being will determine everything that you do and everyone that you're against. You see, when your identity is rooted in your ideology, then anyone who thinks differently than you is an enemy. When your identity is rooted in self-preservation and looking out for number one, your relationship with anybody who interrupts you or becomes better than you, that relationship becomes hostile. When your identity is rooted in how you measure up to those around you, you begin to only associate with those who are deemed valuable in the eyes of your culture and you seek to ignore or look down on everyone else. And this is true of the right and the left. In short, your identity is rooted, if your identity is rooted in anything other than Jesus Christ, then anyone and everyone who isn't like you becomes your enemy. But when your identity is rooted in Jesus Christ, then anyone and everyone becomes a person to be loved and a person to minister to, even your enemies. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are you a politically conservative or a politically liberal person who goes to church? Or are you a Christian who leans conservative? Are you a businessman or woman who goes to church or are you a Christian who seeks to follow Jesus in the way that they lead their business? Does your family only associate with Christianity on Sundays or do you have a household that is centered on the person of Jesus Christ? The fruit of identifying yourself in anything that this world has to offer is hostility, 
division and dissatisfaction because identifying yourself by some, because you are identifying yourself by something that you were never made for. We all have a desire for something that this world cannot provide because this world as it is, is not what we were made for and I believe that that is more than just a feeling. I believe that that is an absolute reality. We weren't made for hostility. We weren't made for division. We were made for Jesus. And when John wrote Revelation, after seeing what heaven was gonna look like, he said this in Revelation chapter seven, nine and 10. He said, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. That's what heaven looks like. That is what the kingdom looks like. And when you are at home in the kingdom, every dividing wall between our brothers and sisters should come crashing down. And because that's true, Paul concludes his section in Ephesians 2. In verses 19 through 22, he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If you can bear with me for just a little bit longer, I want you to notice the relational progression that Paul ends with here. He says, we're no longer strangers and aliens in the kingdom. We are citizens. We are members of God's household. We are joined together as stones. So I want you to imagine just in your mind's eye for a second, like the three kind of rings of a target. So in the center, you have the bullseye, then you have the outer ring, and then you have the furthest outer ring. And the furthest outer ring in our relationship to God, Paul says, we're no longer enemies, we are citizens in his kingdom and he is our king. But with each layer of the target, it gets a little more intensified. It gets a little more specific and a little more intimate. Because he says, not only are we simply citizens, we're no longer foreigners. We are members of the family. We live in his household and he is our father. And then just, right in the center. He says we are built together as a building. And God doesn't just dwell with us as if he's in the room with us, but he actually desires, longs to dwell in us. Do you see the progression of intimacy? But notice it's not just about us as individuals with Jesus as if we're on an island with the Lord and nobody else matters. Because this was a letter that was written to the church. So in the same way that Paul intensifies our relationship with God with each layer in, he's also intensifying our relationship to one another. He says we are citizens in the kingdom. So the people around us in the church, they're no longer our enemies. Sure, we may have disagreements every once in a while, but these people are our neighbors. 
And not only are we neighbors living in the same community, but one step in, man, we are members of the same family. We are living in our father's household together and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And not only that, not only are we living in the same household together, but we are meant to literally be built and joined and cemented together as bricks of a building that support one another. Founded on Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone, the unshakable foundation. And yet how many of us know that when you take one brick out of that wall, it doesn't take much for the whole thing to come crashing down. Many of us have felt and experienced that reality before. And it's heartbreaking. But the relationship that we were made for, the the way we were made to live in the church is to be stones built, joined, cemented together. You see, finding your home in the family of God is the antidote to the homesickness that we all feel for the Garden of Eden. And each of these three points really drives that reality home. Paul says we are God's temple. We are the dwelling place of God. And I want you just to think about what is happening in this room for a minute if you haven't already noticed it. In what other place in this country or even in this world do you have boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z all living together in unity? Everywhere else, they're all pointing the finger at each other. The older ones blaming the younger ones for the catastrophe that the world's gonna be in a few years. The younger ones blaming the older ones for the world that they've inherited. And yet here in this room, (laughs) we have a group of people from every generation on the earth serving one another, loving one another, supporting one another, speaking life for one another, praying for one another, Worshiping God together in unity. Where else does that happen? And this is just a picture, a glimpse of what we're gonna have in the kingdom in its fullness. I believe our students, they have the opportunity to make a difference in the world in front of them. And students, a lot of you guys have heard me say this before, but I don't just believe that you are the future of the church. I believe you are the church. For the rest of us, they need us to support them like bricks of a building support one another. So my question for you today is do you pray for these? Do you pray for these young disciples of Christ? Do you serve them? Do you support them? Are you willing to do for them what the apostles and the prophets and even Christ Jesus himself has done for us so that they may grow in their faith and their hope and their love in Christ? If you don't, please start. It is not too late and I am telling you, I've heard a man who knows everything in the world say the harvest is ripe and I think he was right. In short, through 
this second half of the second chapter of Ephesians, Paul has drawn a contrast between who we once were and who we now are. And I think the hymn Amazing Grace sums it up well. You once were lost. But in Christ, if you're willing to accept the grace that he has afforded to us, then now you are found. And in Christ, you never have to be far from home again because we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And for that reason, we're gonna wrap up our time in worship this morning by coming to the Lord's table and taking communion together as a church family. And I want you to see that the only instruction that Paul gives in these 12 verses that we've looked at today, the only thing that he tells the Ephesian church to do is he says, remember. In Ephesians 2, 12 and 13, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. Remember, this is who you once were, but now you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, as we come to partake of communion together as the unified kingdom, the unified family, and the unified dwelling place of God, Let's do what Paul tells us to do as the church and remember, remember who you once were and who you now are. Ushers, I'd like to invite you guys to, to go ahead and come forward and church, as you come to the Lord's table and you take of the bread and the cup this morning, I wanna invite you just to hold on to it until the end so that we can partake together as the unified church and family of God at the end, I'll come back up after our worship song and I'll, I'll lead us as we partake together. But if you're here and you wouldn't yet consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, I wanna invite you to forego communion this morning because we believe that this is a holy, sacred act of worship for those who have made a decision to follow Jesus and give their lives to him. Like this is for the disciples. But if you're here this morning and you're like, man, well, I don't wanna be a stranger in the kingdom anymore. I need to give my life to Christ. Or maybe at one point in time, I had given my life to Christ, but I have walked away. I have been a stranger in the kingdom and I wanna come back. As the ushers dismiss you, if that's you, would you just make your way up here to the front and one of our pastors up here would be more than happy to have a conversation about that with you. But the ushers will be dismissing you row by row and we have some students and volunteers up here who are excited to serve you, the Lord's Supper. But please remember, hold on to the communion elements as we worship. And as you worship, remember who you once were, how far off you once were, and how we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's worship together this morning.